I'm the um, director of the Phonetics Laboratory, which is part of the division's newest faculty, Linguistics, Philology and Phonetics. And in my lab, we study speech physiology, acoustics and perception. And phonetics and linguistics, quite generally, are, are studies that straddle the art-science divide that was famously articulated by C.P. Snow back in 1959. And it's, that's a view of a divide which I see as peculiarly 20th century kind of Anglophone conception that one doesn't find in other times and in other cultures. So today I want to look uh, at a wide range of research in the humanities division, a very wide range of research in which, far from being divided, arts and sciences cannot really neatly be separated. And this is particularly true in the area of digital humanities, or humanities computing as it's sometimes known. Digital.humanities at Oxford is, before you go try and get out, is neither a department nor is it an email address. Um, but it's a network of people and projects that spans every faculty in the Humanities Division as well as the Oxford E-Research Centre uh, and a number of uh, uh, collaborators in various other departments elsewhere in the university. And here we've got prob probably the largest concentration of digital humanities researchers anywhere uh, in the world. Of course, I mean, everyone, even, even sort of solitary humanist researchers, use computers and the internet uh, in, their, in their work at some very basic level. <coughs> By digital humanities, we really mean the more intensive use of computational methods and resources that in addressing uh, traditional humanities questions, as well as opening up new questions. Now, in particular, computers make it uh, possible to do uh, new kinds of research on very large aggregated uh, data sets. Uh, there are over 120 projects with a significant digital component listing, listed on our uh, Digital Humanities website. Uh, I hope you don't go looking at it immediately because last week the site was hacked and it hasn't, wasn't working for most of last week. Uh, I hope it's back up again now. That's it, but, but in due <laughs> hopefully soon you'll be able to go and look. Uh, as every internet user knows, of course, computers really come into their own by enabling us to go beyond primarily textual text-based research to work with images and movies and sound and 3D visualizations, 4D visualizations, that's moving 3D visualizations. And it gives us new forms of presenting uh, or publishing such material, such as hypertext and linked data. And humanities scholars, uh, you know, are certainly not just consumers of digital data provided by some, someone else. We are also producers of, of digital resources, big time. Uh, but it's not just about a new form of publishing. Digital humanities researchers also em employ and develop new analysis methods. And I'm going to give you a few examples. Um, this image is of multispectral imaging uh, of re revealing scratches on an old Roman writing tablet. This is research done by our colleague Alan Bowman from Classics, who is until recently Camden Professor of Roman History. Those faint scratches that the imaging has picked there are writing, Latin writing moreover. For heaven's sake, please don't test me on what it says, uh, but, there, but there we have it. This uh, image shows the application of a sequence alignment uh, algorithm, a quite um, generic uh, algorithm that's used to compare various kinds of signals. I was hoping to show you uh, a figure showing the comparisons between signals that were audio recordings of two words in, in older research of mine. An algorithm that was developed in the 1960s, originally for speech recognition, and more or less at the same time simultaneously discovered by computational biologists for finding patterns in, in protein sequences. And the same exact same algorithm has also been used for finding sequence in musical patterns. 
In this particular example, uh, the same algorithm has been used to, to, to discover and to, to reveal repeated passages of text. If I can, this will work without, yeah, well. Um, so in the text at the bottom left here, uh, most of, much of which is highlighted uh, in red, uh, our newly appointed um, Mellon postdoctoral fellow in digital humanities, Glenn Rowe, who will shortly be starting here, discovered portions, and this is just one example of many, portions of banned books, such as this uh, extract from John Locke uh, in French. This was quoted without acknowledgement in Jocor's monumental 18th century encyclopédie, uh, and it's not attributed to Locke because he was a banned author at the time. Uh, now, digging out such extensive quotations uh, by hand would be extremely difficult. In, in examples such as this and the previous that I mentioned, digital methods reveal new knowledge that could hardly be discovered using traditional scholarly practices. Digital methods change the scale of research, permitting analyses to be carried out across vast data collections and even whole libraries, using more data than any pre-digital scholar could possibly get through in their entire career. Here are some data storage requirements of a number of prominent big science projects. It's quite a range of variation from the rather small, rather titchy human genome at this end to the absolutely massive data storage requirements of the Large Hadron uh, Collider. But here, for comparison, are data storage requirements for a few digital humanities uh, uh, projects. So here in the middle, uh, this is the storage for one of, uh, the, a year of speech, which is a very large uh, corpus of spoken English, which I've been uh, collecting. Uh, and that requires a present, uh, just for one year of speech, requires twice the resources, uh, storage resources of the Hubble telescope. And we're continuing to collect. We've already got several more years than this. Professor Kurtz's uh, Claros web of art that she'll be talking about in the moment uh, has uh, sort of half as much again as the astronomy survey of the Sloan Digital Sky Survey. Uh, and at the, the big end of the scale, uh, so that just for comparison, the Large Hadron Collider's vast storage is 15 times, 1,500 times bigger than my year of speech corpus. But in um, the vast collections of audio recordings that are held by broadcasters and audio archives uh, uh, really outstrip the annual storage of the, of the Large Hadron Collider. Now, unfortunately, most of this has not yet been digitised, um, partly, through, partly through lack of resources, partly through perhaps lack of motivation in some cases. Uh, and, and this is a great shame. We actually risk losing large chunks of 20th century cultural heritage unless we actually get on with digitising them. The uh, computing resources that we need, and here I'm just looking at storage, but the same stories could be made for processing, uh, are clearly a fair match for the research uh, resources of big science, in, in some areas at least. And happily, this, this message that I go around the place batting on about is beginning to get noticed. Uh, a few weeks ago, I presented uh, this figure in another presentation at the National Endowment for Humanities in Washington, D.C., and happily it was picked up by a journalist for Nature magazine, who, who kind of cloned my figure this. So it's beginning to get uh, noticed. Um, in the Enlightenment period, uh, new instruments, such as the microscope and telescope, gave philosophers new tools for understanding humanity's place in the universe. 
Scientists and humanists, then and now, all alike, ask similar questions. Similar big questions. Like, who are we? What makes us? Where did we come from? Where are we going? How do we fit into the universe? And today, computers, the internet, vast digital resources are, have, been, have been likened to the new observatories in which humanists, too, develop and deploy advanced technology to address those fundamental questions. And on that note, I'll hand over to Donna Kurtz, who will tell you in more detail about one of those great digital observatories, the Claros Web of Art. <laughs>